The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. This month, News Talk commissioned a survey that was carried out by Amoric Research regarding preferred transport and road access in Ireland. The survey was based on a representative sample of 1,200 adults over the ages of 18 from all throughout the country. And we have three guests with us today to discuss the top line findings from the research and what it might mean for the future of transport in Ireland. Those guests being uh, motoring editor from the uh, independent group Geraldine Herbert, Michael Healy Ray, independent TD from Kerry, and Brian Caulfield, associate professor at the School of Engineering in Trinity College. And Brian, I might begin with you because one of the things that amazed me slightly in this was what uh, Josh was telling us earlier on that even if public transport was free, it wouldn't be a significant incentive for people to use it, that what they want is quality rather than it being free gratis. Well, that's been repeated across the world. You know, a lot of cities, a lot of regions have tried this free public transport. Um, The modelling that was done by the NTA showed it as well, that even if it was free, that people won't use it. People want frequency. They want... They want a service that they can rely on. They want a seat. They want good real-time information. That's all of the things they want, and they're willing to pay for it. And that's the that's the good part of it. Um, we just need to deliver that now. And when we talk about the type of public transport that we should be delivering, the uh, Amoric research reveals the bus is prime in people's hearts and minds. Well, I suppose the bus is the, the mode of transport that people see the most often, you know, um, and you see it. It's the, the workhorse of transport in public transport in Dublin. It's the workhorse across the country. Um, and that's the one that, that that's there. And towards to the end of the decade, that's all we'll be, we'll be using, that all the new services will be bus services. So Lewis services, Metro, all of those kind of things aren't until, you know, the 2030s. Well, as I say, Michael Healy Ray is with us as well. Michael, this looks to be the death knell for the car. We need to start pouring money into buses and public transport. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that because, and I congratulate you all on this excellent survey that was done. But people have said two things that are very clear. They're saying they're paying enough for their transport. They don't want the excise duties to go back on. They don't want the cost of motoring to be increased. And people want more motorways. Now, that tells me that I was right today when I told the Taoiseach on the record of the Dáil, which I've told him continuously, they've lost rural Ireland in particular, the government, because they're saying one thing, but they're out of tune with the rest of the country. Because your survey proves that the people in the country want motorways, they want money to be spent on roads. We have a minister for the environment who doesn't like spending money on roads. And they don't want the cost of motoring to be increased. Now, Michael, is that because, do they, do they want the motorways because the other alternative is not there? If there was a bus system, if there was a rail network that was regular and reliable and high quality, would people say, why will I be dragging myself down a motorway when I can sit on a nice comfy train or coach? You're, you're 100% correct. But I'd like to live in utopia as well if we could, but I don't think we can. I, I have the habit as the same as everybody else of living in the real world and cutting our cloth to suit our measure. I know that you will never, I would be delighted if I was wrong, but I think I'm right. We won't ever have a, a, an adequate service, public transport, that will cater for all of rural Ireland to the extent that people living, for instance, in some of the places that I was uh, in the last, over the last couple of days doing my clinics around Kerry, these people... These places aren't serviced by public transport and won't be or won't be able to take care of people's travelling needs, whether it's education, whether it's work, whether it's leisure. 
if you live in a rural location, the bus won't be able to pull up outside your door. And well, the fact that well, this you, goes to the, you have a car, we'll have to have it. Indeed. Car. Let me ask you, uh, Geraldine Herbert then about that possible utopia that uh, Michael Healy Ray says we, we won't end up living in. Because if we do end up there, if we do end up with reliable public transport, according to this, you may be out of a job because it says if we had reliable and frequent public transport, would that encourage you to give up your car? Nearly two thirds of people say, yep, I would happily give it up if there was bus and rail network that allowed me to use it. Um, I think there's a number of issues. I think, first of all, it's highly unlikely we're going to have a functioning public service that will that will cover the entire of rural Ireland. I think our one-off housing mitigates against that. We've, you know, houses all over the place. We're never going to satisfy that. So we are always going to have a need for cars, particularly in rural Ireland. I think we can do better, though, than just relying on buses. We can have park and ride at rail stations. You know, we, we can be more, you know, creative in how we approach this. But I think what's interesting about the, uh, the, the public transport is if we look at the experiment in Germany during the summer, where they had the nine euro um, ticket so you could use trains you could use any sort of you know the subways in the cities the Oh this is the, the Yes Minister integrated transport system this is you, you pays your money and you can jump on anything Yeah but the interesting thing was at the end of the summer they didn't actually get people out of cars what they discover and it's the same when you make public transport free is people who make journeys make more journeys and, but people don't, some people gave up their cars at the weekends and stuff, but they didn't have a significant increase enough to justify continuing it. And I think the prices went up, but they were at a reduced price or whatever. But it, it was an interesting experiment, but it proved that, that it takes an awful lot more than efficient public transport to get people out of the car. And what's the driving force? That, Brian, is that things like the, the, the last mile where even if it's free and regular, I still have to get the rest of the way to my workplace and it's just not practical for me? Or do people just love their car? Um, I think it's maybe a bit of both. Um, I, I, I do think it is the last mile that people see this 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 final hurdle that they have to get over before they get home, and that's the kind of thing that's that's blocking them from doing it. But I think there's definitely been a sea change in, in how people look at public transport in this country. You know, about seventy five percent of all trips in twenty nineteen were were made by private car. I think there is a demand and there, there's a desire for this to change. It's just about getting the frequency of service. And Geraldine is right. People are taking more public transport trips. We found in, in surveys of students in Trinity that students are swapping over to, to public transport instead of walking and cycling because it's cheaper. But then also, I suppose, because they're travelling longer distances. And that was also replicated in the, the, the census results that came out last month. So when it's cheaper, the people that are currently using it move more. And we always find that, you know, the people that move between walk and cycle with all of our policies onto public transport, that's what happens. If you've got this kind of sticky set of people that just won't get onto public transport or won't leave the car behind. And how much, is that because of the types of work people do? Is it somebody saying, well, I have to bring things with me or? Um, I think what's interesting, again, is if you look at the Netherlands, the Netherlands has world class leading cycling infrastructure. It's known for it. They have really good public transport as well. And yet they're still predicting that car, car ownership rates will rise over the next decade. And that's because very similar to us, we're making longer and longer journeys in our car. So when the best way to get people out of their cars is to make their journey shorter, but you can't do that without approaching housing. So when people live and work close to where they want to, you know, it makes much more sense. But as long as we push people further and further from where they want to live and they work further and further from where they're living and all of that, we create a, a situation where no transport solution is going to work. We have to join those two things up, I think. And what about then the the issue of the type of car that they use? Because one of the questions that was asked was, if the cost of running an electric vehicle was reduced substantially, would that make you more likely to buy an electric car? And 61% said yes. Now, Michael Healy, right, that is a, a solution for rural Ireland that is both economic or that would be economically advantageous to um, rural dwellers and would also be great for the environment. The electric car issue, you have to look at the mobile phones. 
And what I mean by that is the mobile phone that you had 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, is a completely different piece of machinery to what you have today in your pocket. You have a computer in your pocket today that does everything in the world for you. Uh, when they came out first, that wasn't so. I'm 100% sure that the electric vehicles of today or the hybrid vehicles of today are going to be completely vastly improved in another 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And there will absolutely no doubt be a lot better than what we actually have today because today they're not practical. For people who have a lot of journeys to do and long journeys to do and who use their car a lot, they're not practical. They're not affordable and they're definitely not uh, within the reach of people who are struggling trying to make their ends meet and balance their book at the end of the week. So it's not a practical solution, in particular if you take young people. I was in the school recently and I, I was talking about the environment and environmental issues. And I said to the young people that were there, they won't be able to afford their first car. It will not be an electric vehicle. Absolutely no way, because they won't be able to afford it. They'll be doing very good if they can afford a small petrol or diesel car. And they'll be very glad to get their wheels under them and get on the road, which we love to see young people getting going and stuffy out in life. But it won't be in an electric vehicle. Well, they won't be there's, there's two separate issues there. And one, of course, is the second-hand prices. The, but the first that you raise is that thing of the practicality in terms of range and use of the electric vehicles that we now have. And the perfect person to be able to tell us where we stand in relation to that is Geraldine Herbert. And I'll ask Geraldine Herbert to walk us through that after we get the Half Five News headlines. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan weekdays from four on News Talk. Thank you very much, Eamon. It is the Hard Shoulder. It's Anton in for Kieran, and we're talking about News Talk's exclusive research commissioned through Amoric Research, looking at transport and the experience of people trying to deal with their commute. Text saying, "I'm based in Carrick and Shannon. I'm sometimes working in Dublin. I would use bus Sarah number twenty three, but it goes into Longford, Edgeworthstown, Mullingar, Dublin Airport before it arrives in the city. Nearly three hours for a trip. That's two hours in a car." Another, I live in Wexford and I work in the hospital in Waterford. I drive and take a ferry to work that takes about 50 minutes. If I wanted to take public transport, even free, I have to walk 30 minutes to a bus stop, get three buses just to get to work and no bus at the end of the shift. So how would I get home? Public transport is only available if you're in a city. I'm not anti-car, but the government don't see outside of Dublin. Now, before the news headlines, um, Michael Healy Ray was making the point that the electric car will come on in leaps and bounds in 15 years and that it isn't where it needs to be yet. Geraldine, I would have thought that the question is not how will future electric cars compare to current electric cars, but how do current electric cars compare to the internal combustion engine equivalent? How do they stack up? Okay, well, if you look realistically at how much driving people do, I think the last CSO travel survey estimated that in seven days people do 300 kilometres and that's rural and urban. That's an average figure. And I presume that's dropped because that was pre-COVID. So if you imagine more people working from home and everything, it's probably even less. Now, the vast majority of new electric cars do 400 kilometres, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. So that's kind of the average. So most people will only charge their electric car once. Now, I agree once a week. Now, I would agree, there's no doubt about it, you pay a premium for an electric car at the moment if you compare it to a similarly sized petrol and diesel car. But what I was interested in in the survey was that it said that 6 out of 10 adults would be more likely to buy an EV if the cost of running one was substantially reduced. The cost of running one is substantially cheaper than a petrol or diesel car. And what's interesting is 
there have been surveys across Europe that have shown that motorists are like the world's worst for underestimating the cost of a car, like a petrol or diesel car. They have no notion how much it actually costs them. And when you present them with those figures, there was a survey in Nature magazine in Germany and I think a third of motorists went, what? I would use public transport and give up my car in the morning if I'd known that. So I think these are things that, you know, we're, we're, we're the most unreliable for estimating or uh, properly judging how much anything costs. So it's not surprising that they go, electric cars, they cost a bomb. Of course, the big challenge will be electric cars aren't going to get cheaper to run because all that excise duty that is currently getting soaked up on fuel, that's going to have to find its way into the electricity system at some point. No, absolutely. But as it stands, if you're charging an electric car at home and you're on a smart meter or something, you are making substantial savings even with the increase. Having said that, if you're relying on the public network, it has become more expensive and that gap between running a petrol and diesel and an electric car is closing, but it is still cheaper when you factor in servicing and everything. When we talk about the perception versus the actual reality of the stats, another interesting one in relation to the NCT. Should we scrap the NCT? 56% of people, Brian, saying no, that we shouldn't, uh, and 35% saying yes, that we should. Undoubtedly, that must be rooted in an unevidenced belief that it contributes to safety. Yeah, perhaps. Um, uh, but, you know, the NCT, since it's been brought in, it, it like, you know, it takes the the cars off the roads that are that aren't um, roadworthy. It's it's not something that we should get rid of. Um, it funds the RSA um, for all of the the road safety interventions that they bring in. Um, so again, you know, there's an hundreds of millions to a Spanish company for no real impact on road safety. I am Geraldine Cohen in your pile. See, I know for a fact that you don't like the NCT. <laughs> I don't like the underlying for, numbers. For an opportunity to just dismiss it. But I would have to say, like, first of all, we can't scrap the NCT. It's a European directive that we have to do it. OK, so we will just accept that it's here, right? And then we have to say that it, the introduction of the NCT has coincided with a reduction in, um, in road fatalities. Now, whether or not there's a correlation... We have to I bought a though. new pair of shoes at the same time. Facetiousness aside, though, like we, we know the underlying 0.7 of 1% of road uh, deaths related to motoring safety. 0.7 of 1%. It is absolutely insignificant. And when you say to the RSA, look, give me the evidence that this has contributed to anything. we don't actually. Don't we it. know that, what is it, 14 fatalities a year are attributed to tyres. No, 14% of fatalities have tyres as a contributory factor. So when you look at the death and you say, this yes. person was drunk and speeding, and they add in and they're tyres weren't great. Yeah, it's but the drunken speeding is the problem. It's probably the factor, yes, but how many accidents do they occur to, that we don't like, That maybe not fatalities, but there are overall collisions. Like, let's be honest, tyres are a huge point safety factor. 0.7 of 1% no, I, to say. That's sorry. their own numbers. 0.7 because of 1%. Because there are other things that are bigger than that. Obviously, speeding and drink driving and mobile phone usage is going to knock out any car maintenance issues. Pedestrians not watching where they're going contributes to about 10% of road deaths last year. Pedestrians not looking the right way at night on a Sunday. Anyway, this okay, is a I'm going to go back Let's to the NCT and say that given the fact that half of the cars that roll up to the NCT actually fail it, that shows you that Irish people do not have a commitment to actually maintaining their mm-hmm. car. And if they weren't forced to do it by, look, you failed the NCT, would you go and just get your lights fixed? They wouldn't actually do that. So I think there is definitely a safety issue there. What about the carpooling? Because one of the questions was, do you ever carpool? And the answer was no. 76% of people saying, I never take a passenger. Now, whatever about the arguments about public safety, surely carpooling is the kind of thing that people should be doing. To be honest, Anton, I was amazed that so many people said yes, because I know nobody. I've been banging the drum of carpooling for God knows how long and I can never find anyone who does it. It's like, ah, no, would you really want to share with Mary from accounts? And it's like, OK, fine. You don't buy into this idea. Nobody seems to. And yet it's the simplest thing in the world. If you had employers who said there's one car space out there, four of you come in. 
you can have that car space. It would, it you know, it reduces emissions, it reduces wear and tear in your car. It's more cost effective. You're not paying fuel. There's huge benefits to it. But people like, you see, I think this goes back to why they won't give up the car. They want that radio, the, you know, to tune into the radio on their own. They don't want to talk. They want that isolation in the car, on, you know. So, Well, Michael Healy-Ray, you're a man who has to do a fair degree of commuting up and down from Kerry to the Dáil. Do you carpool? Well, I'll put it to you this way. I certainly would have grave sympathy on any person that would have the misfortune of having to carpool with me because I don't think it would be a very enjoyable experience for them. Uh, so, you're, Are you a difficult passenger, Michael? No, it isn't that, but I don't think they'd really like my sort of time schedule. I, I don't think it would suit them. But we have a minister who, remember, who told people in rural areas, he told them in villages and towns that we should all carpool and he had a vision that we'd have, a, a, you know, maybe 10 cars in a community and we'd all cycle down on our bicycles or walk to the local village and hope that there was a car there for us to jump into. In other words, totally impractical talk. Carpooling, where it can work and where people are able to make it work, isn't that brilliant. But it's not a practical solution for everybody. That's one issue. The other issue is what you were saying about the electric cars. We cannot let it go from an environmental point of view that we have to highlight one of the most damaging things that you can produce today is an electric car because of the damage that it does to the environment in the production of the batteries for it. And then, of course, I think we haven't dealt with it all yet when they'll come to the end of their life, the disposal of those electric vehicles because there is nothing at the moment that is as good uh, and as productive and as affordable as a nice uh, petrol or diesel engine well-maintained and it's affordable, in particularly for young people. And like I said already, we want to get young people on the road. We want to encourage them to be able to get part-time jobs and then eventually full-time work. And if they need a vehicle for that, like I say, they won't be going around well, in an electric vehicle. Let me go back with the, the, They won't be able to afford it. Indeed. One of the major questions in all of this that was asked is, fundamentally, is Ireland anti-car? And, Ger, what they their research found was, um, uh, the no, so people saying it's not anti-car, about 55%, but about a third of people believing that Ireland is fundamentally anti-car. Are you surprised? Um, Hang on, Michael, I've oh, no, Ger- Herbert coming in. Sorry, my apologies. Um, no, not really in some ways. I think that people, a lot of motorists have this idea that when they hear vast amounts of money, like a million um, euro being spent daily on cycling and walking infrastructure, that somehow they're missing out. What they don't realise is they have gained, you know, motorways and all sorts of great investment has been made in cars. Um, and we still prioritise cars on the road. So, no, I don't think so, to be honest. Ger, thank you very much. That is Geraldine Herbert, who is motoring editor with the Independent Group. Thank you as well to Brian Caulfield, who is associate professor at the School of Engineering at Trinity College. And of course, uh, thank you to uh, Kerry TD, Michael Healy Ray. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.